Thank you very much. Appreciate that. So, God is good. So, um, I had uh, an interesting time this week. Last week, I preached a message which was called The Battle uh, for our advancement, and and then the next day, as as Pastor Logan, who kind of categorizes this and makes sure that it's posted, uh, he was trying to ask, "Well, is this part of a series, or is this just kind of one sermon that you had?" And and I at that time said to him, "Yeah, it's just it's just one of those, just one that I kind of had the Spirit of God kind of was speaking to my heart about about that that thing, and the Scripture had come to me clearly about it, and and so I thought it was just while I was on holidays I kind of had that together." And then what happened was um, we had been finishing our week of prayer, our, 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 sorry, our three weeks, 21 days of prayer, and uh, that ended yesterday. Now, by the way, uh, there is a, uh, a multi-church, uh, a citywide prayer meeting that happens once a month, and there is one actually happening tomorrow at Ebenezer Church, and so that happens from 7 to 8.30. So for those of you who want to kind of pray together amongst all the churches, that's taking place tomorrow. And I'm hoping that you can, can make it out. Now, Ebenezer Church is a Spanish church. Uh, and we will be meeting, I think, from 7 to 8.30 at 1145 Lawrence Street East, or Lawrence Avenue East. And so I just thought I'd give that plug to you for those people who are interested. Anyways, the last week of prayer, at lunchtime, we, the church was opened at lunch. And I just felt this strong urge to begin to pray over the altars, that God would reestablish this altar place for God to be able to move. Now, God can move anywhere he wants at any time that he wants. But sometimes there's just places that we dedicate for God to move. And because of COVID, we haven't been able, or we didn't have a whole lot of time to be able to pray and, and spend corporate time in prayer or, or people who have had specific crises that they were going through to be able to have someone pray for them. And it was just strongly impressed upon my heart to begin to pray that God would reestablish our altar. That there would be healing that would be taking place at the altar. That families would be knit back together. That those who were addicted to drugs could be delivered. That people would get saved. That people would get called into ministry. That God would begin to restore and do great things at our altar every single Sunday. Not just one Sunday, but every Sunday. Amen? And I began to pray that, that, that our children would be called. And, and all of a sudden, as I began to pray amongst our children for, of the church, I got this mental picture. I don't know if I would call it a vision per se. But I got this picture of the whole altar space here. Filled with pieces of paper with our children's names on them. And so I said, okay, well began to realize that the greatest battle that we could have, and although it's important to have a battle for our advancement, perhaps the greatest battle that we have is for our children. We need to win them. We can't option off the idea of not praying for our children. And so what I want to do, and I'll tell you this, and online if you, were, if you were listening in as well, I got a bunch of sheets of paper at the front of the altar. And um, I put the names of my children uh, on, on it, and, and I'm going to provide an opportunity after the service for anybody who have children that you are concerned about or anyone that you want to be prayed over to be able to write their names. There's a bunch of pens. There's, there's six different stations where you can grab a sheet of paper and write down their names. And so I'm going to put mine there to start off with. But I believe that God wants to do something special today. And I think that's probably the, the reason that I was probably going through such warfare last night. 
Because God wants to do something. The greatest battle that you will have is for your children. There was a, there was a, a, a study that was just brought out and just published in June of last year. And it was talking about the state of our children and the mental, emotional health of our children. And they received some data from the, the, it's a USA study, the National Poison Data System. And what they were trying to articulate and find out is how many children were attempting suicide because of self-poisoning, taking some kind of pills or medication or painkillers or whatever. And they realized that there was a large number that were. And these were the cases of those who had attempted, those who had permanently injured, and those who actually committed suicide. In the year 2015, the number of suspected suicides and suicides through poisoning was 75,248 in 2015 alone in America. The amazing thing is that five years later in 2020, that number rose from 75,000 to 93,532, a 26.7% increase. And the amazing thing is they began to talk about that. They said 77% of these were, were children, were, were female children. And they began to kind of section them off in terms of, of times, and they saw that there was increases in everyone. But the biggest increase was in those who are ages 10 to 12, 110% increase over those five years. Folks, we are in a battle. And the battle is for the most important possession that we have. And our biggest theme is that of prayer. It is our biggest and perhaps our only effective battle against the enemy. Now, so this sermon goes out to all of those with children, and you want to see them in heaven with you. It's also to those people who have children that are serving God, but are barely serving God. That not only do we want our children to be serving Jesus, we won't want them to make it to heaven just by the skin of their teeth. We want our children to thrive when it comes to serving the Lord. And it's, for, and it's for those people who have children who live a million miles away, at least it seems that way, are also those people, those children that are right next door but seem like they are a million miles away. For those parents who regularly travail in prayer over their children and their grandchildren. For those who have prayed and prayed and haven't seen any result and are thinking of giving up. For those of you who have kids that have poured, and you have poured into, the, you don't have kids, but you have poured into the lives of the nephews and nieces and, and friends' children. You have all of a sudden became a prayer surrogate for those children. Or for those of you who have, are the parent of a prodigal, and they've come and they said, I'm going, I want nothing to do with it. And they are somewhere in some way off land, spending all the resources on riotous living. Either that or they're in a place where they're feeding the pigs. And you stand there and you wait and you're looking for them to come back. Or perhaps something has happened and, and your child has disowned you. Or perhaps you've realized that you've made mistakes. This sermon is for you. And for those of you who have parents, or you know, parents and grandparents who have children that have turned their hearts from Jesus, but they're still really good kids. They're still wonderful and they're doing well and they went to college and university and got a great job and they're morally good living people. And they have children, and those children 
are very nice people. Everything seems nice. And you take a look and you're happy for the advancements that they've made in their life. And, and at the same time, there's something in the back of your head that says they don't know Jesus. They need to know Jesus. Or those children that are in bondage to drugs, gambling, alcohol, overspending, lust, whatever. I'm here to tell you that there is a battle that we cannot afford to lose. I'm here to tell you that the only weapon that we have is our prayers. And stopping your prayers is not an option. I also want to tell you that there's nothing more precious to God than the tears of a mother, the tears of a father. I also want to say by the Spirit of God that your child may be kilometers away from God, but they're only one step back. And so I'm going to say something that you need to realize is true, is that there is no bondage that is too difficult to free from with God, that there's no broken relationship that God cannot fix, that if God can fix a broken leg, he can fix a broken life. If God can heal cancer, he can heal mental illness and emotional illness in our children. And the greatest battle and the most important battle and the hardest fought battle that you may have in this lifetime will be that for your children. The good news is this, that the God that we serve is all-powerful. He is El Shaddai. A lot of us have the mistaken notion that you have this powerful God and you have this enemy which is a close second. It's not true. It's not what Scripture says. Scripture says that there might be some power that Satan may have and authority that he has, but God is all-powerful. That his power is limitedness. Limitlessness. It is, it is in infinity. So if that is the case, there's nothing too difficult for God to do. Let me share some passages of scripture from you. Two from the book of Psalms. First one is in Psalms chapter 78.4. 78.4. I think that's how you say it, isn't it? And I've passed for so many years and I can't even say the scriptures right. We will not hide these truths from our children. We will tell the next generation about the glorious deeds of the Lord. About his power and his mighty wonders. You need to tell them. It is important to tell them. The other passage of Scripture is from the book of Psalms 145, verse 4. It says, let each generation tell its children of your mighty acts. Let them proclaim your power. There's something in us that needs to tell and let our children know and do everything we can to show them that Jesus is Lord. We got one in Deuteronomy chapter 4, verse 9. It says, only be careful and watch yourselves closely so that you do not forget the things your eyes have seen. Or let them fade from your heart as long as you live. Teach them to your children and to their children after them. There's an importance for us in this whole thought of the battle for our families, the battle for our children. And I want to talk to you and give you a few, just take a few minutes of your time to talk about the importance of the battle, the imperative of the battle, and the impact that we have in this battle if we could. First is this, the importance of the battle. You know what I found? Every time that I have preached a message on our children and the importance of praying for our children and the battle that's there, there has not been one time where I have been in the foyer afterwards and someone coming up to me and say, I don't know if I agree with that, Pastor. I don't know if the Word of God really tells me that I should be praying for my children. I should just kind of, just kind of let them go kind of free range. That's okay if we can do that. No, it's never. I never have to convince you that it's not important. This is something that resonates with all of us. We see it in the fact that there is nothing more important to us than our children. 
And Satan will always be working on the next generation. It is the epicenter from where the battle is. I've come to understand that most people who get saved in their older years have usually been exposed to the gospel at a younger age. That seeds have been planted. That's kind of the term that we use in the church, isn't it? They may be a Lord, they may be, they may be away from the Lord, but, but God has planted some seeds in them when they were younger. I remember as a youth pastor here at this church, as a youth pastor, hearing the, the um, statistic that, that most people who accept Jesus have had an exposure to the gospel or have grown up in the, in, uh, in the church and have accepted Jesus and have had that exposure before the age of 16. I would imagine now, as I'm so many years removed from being a youth pastor, that that number is even lower. We are only, folks, one generation from extinction. All it takes is one generation to not pass the message on, and we find ourselves and our faith in trouble. And we have learned, the world has learned that this is true, that if the world wants to indoctrinate us, they will do it at youth. If, if we have issues, or if the world has issues, or, or, or our, if the world doesn't like our views on, on, on abortion or on medical assistance and death, they're not going to argue with us. They're going to indoctrinate our children. That's how they do it. Or I've heard those people say this. Listen, I, I just think I'm going to let my kids decide. We wouldn't do that with other things. If my son, when he was a young man, said, he said, Dad, I'm going to drink this industrial cleaner. I said, oh, son, you know, I just want to tell you that you might get poisoned, but you just go ahead. I'll let you decide what you're going to do. We never say that. We never say the th same things are the most important things and the most important part of our soul. And let me just remind you that social media is not letting them decide. Porn industry is not letting them decide. And God entrusts us to lead our children. Our children are not, uh, will not serve Jesus. I'll say this. Our children will have a difficult time serving God on what I call hearsay faith. Your children will not serve God on your experience. You have had, may have had a wonderful experience and God may have gloriously saved you and you may have had a wonderful time at the altar where God had delivered you from whatever. And you will pass that on to your children and you will tell them how wonderful God is and I think that you should do that. But there's something that happens when the child experiences it for themselves. If there's a revival that needs to happen, it needs to happen in our kids. We need to see God move and change their lives it is such an important thing. It's an important thing. Not only that is it important, but I'll call it, say it this, it's, it's imperative. That it goes past importance. It is urgent. We can't sit idly by. What do we do if, if, if we have children and, and, and we have dedicated them to Jesus? And, and because God has done so many wonderful things in our lives, we want the same thing to happen in their lives. What do we do? What are some of the things that we do? Well, what we do is we, we lead by example. We always put Christ first. We pray for them, with them, over them. We make family a priority. We teach the priority of the Word of God. There's a passage in Scripture in 2 Timothy chapter 3, verse 16, 
that says all scripture is God-breathed and, and profitable for doctrine, for reproof, for instruction in righteousness. Most of us know that passage. The verse before that, 2 Timothy chapter 3.15, talks about Paul and Timothy's upbringing. He says, the reason that you are here is that you were fed the word of God as a baby and it leads to salvation. You need to teach them that it is a priority. The importance of church, the importance of being part of a church, which is a big thing. You know, the, 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 issue, the issue is that a, a person who does not see church as a priority oftentimes will have a child that will not see faith as a priority. Let me say that again. Oftentimes a person that does not see church as a priority oftentimes has a child that will not see faith as a priority. And if you're a father, you need to lead. Men, we need to stand up for the sake of our families, for the sake of our household. It's something which is absolutely imperative that we do. So when we see world in a turmoil, we can't blame the present generation for the current problem. It was the generation before that creates the current problem. Our present circumstance is not the result of the responsibility or the irresponsibility of the current generation but because of the last generation. And that's why the Bible says in Psalm 127.3 that children are heritage of the Lord. That God has called us to take them to the next step in our faith. I wrote down this, I wrote down, uh, this week seven moments. Seven moments to pray for your children. I think I have it on. Yeah, I do have it here. What are the seven times when you pray for your kids? Well, you pray for them in the womb. Psalms tells us that we are, are fearfully and wonderfully made, that even in the womb, God was knitting us together. And those are the times when we begin to pray for, for our children in the will, in the fact that God has a plan for our kids, and we want the will of God to be continually taking part in our kids, in their wondering, in the, in the, in the fact that we need to be there to answer the hard questions. That's why we like to have uh, ministries like Creation Ministry here, to be able to help in some of the more difficult questions. In 1 Peter chapter 1, I believe, or 2, it talks about the fact about sanctifying the Lord God in our hearts. And it says this, Be ready to give an answer to everyone ask you of the hope that is in you with meekness and fear. Well, that anyone that asks, we somehow think is some kind of stranger or next-door neighbor. Well, that includes our children as well in the wondering. In the wandering. Now, think of this, folks. As I grew up as a young teenager and young adult, there were times where I was strong in my faith. There were times where I wasn't as strong in my faith. There were times where I was influenced by my friends. There were times when I had doubt. There were times where I was going through difficulties. And if that was the case for me, what's for us to not say that the same thing happens to our children. We need to pray with them through those times. Pray for them in the wilderness. Wilderness isn't a bad thing, folks. A lot of times we just pray that God will keep them from the wilderness. Well, in the mountains, we just love Jesus. But in the wilderness and in the valleys, that's where we actually get to know God. When we pray for our kids in the wilderness, we are praying for them that they will grow and that God will give them the lessons that they need in the work, that God will fulfill the calling of their life in amidst the war. In other words, there isn't a time that we shouldn't be praying for our kids. For those of you who are like scholars, in, 
in 1 Samuel chapter 30, there's a story about David when he's fighting this battle. And when he looks at the battle, he goes home and he realizes that the Amalekites have come in while they were at a battle somewhere else. The Amalekites came and stole their wives and their children. Remember the story? Like that story goes on to say that they were crying so much that they cried so that they couldn't cry anymore. And it's that passage where Jesus, where the, the scriptures say that, that David encouraged himself from the Lord and he begins talking about this. But the thing that blows my mind about that passage of scripture is that David actually goes to the Lord and says, God, should we go after them? And I'm thinking to myself, could you imagine if God said, no, they're lost, go on to something else? Would have never said that. When is there a time where we don't go to our children? Where are those times? And, and sometimes I think that the sentiment is there today that, that there's all a war going on, and we're saying, God, should I be praying for my kids? It seems like a difficult thing. It seems like we're losing them. It seems, like, it seems like there's a huge battle which is going on. Should I be praying for them? I don't think there's a time when we don't pray for our kids. Like the, the world that I grew up in is totally different than, than the world that my kids grew up in. And the world that their kids are growing up to will be even worse. And there's, there's no way that they can win unless there is a group of people solidified in praying for God to move in their lives. It's important. It's imperative. But there's an impact. James chapter 5, verse 16 says, The prayer of a righteous man, a righteous person, a prayer, the effectual fervent prayer of a righteous woman, a righteous man, King James says avails much. It's, the NIV says it's powerful and it's effective. There's something that happens when we pray. Even Galatians chapter 6 verse 9 as it ends his book, he says, don't be weary in well-doing because in due season you will reap. You'll reap a harvest if you don't give up. That there's something that happens when we pray. I think the most passionate prayers I pray will be the prayers for my children. Because I know that they're in the battle. In a lot of ways, my children have actually taught me how to pray. At the very least, they developed my prayer muscles, haven't they? Because I love my kids, and you love your kids. And I love Jesus. And I love the fact that God delivered me from so much. From the home that was, was bound by alcoholism and a whole bunch of terrible things. God delivered me from that. I saw God do some tremendous things. And I want God to do the same thing to my children. Here's the thing. When my kids hurt, I hurt. Isn't that true? There's been times where I prayed, God, let me suffer in their praise. I'm sure that there are a number of you here who probably prayed that same prayer. God put the burden on me, and God does put the burden on me. Your kids are going through a difficult time. God is calling you to pray like no other time before. There's something about the impact of prayer that we can change all these things. We can't see heaven without our kids. So it should be the most important thing that we pray for. I remember my very first youth pastor, and I know I may have shared this story once or twice. My very first youth pastor. I remember him telling the story of how he got saved, grew up at a Christian home, at some point in his early teenage years, he said, I want nothing to do it. And not only did he go away, he went far away. He went so deep into drugs that he could hardly recognize himself. Joined a motorcycle gang and all of a sudden came to a point where his life was in huge trouble. 
But what happens is his parents had a bunch of people in the church that I grew up in that started to pray for him. They called out to him and said, he is so far away, but if we pray, I know that somehow God can bring him back. And so he came and he was still in this motorcycle gang. And this is what he said. I remember him telling me. He says, I dressed myself so inappropriately for church that I was just waiting for one of these old fogies to say something about the way that I was dressed and I was going to punch him in the mouth. That's what he came in church to do. And the opposite happened. And they just began to love him. And as the sermon was preached, God somehow got into the depths of his soul and he walks up to the front And the prayer of a mother that was praying for years and years was answered. Goes into the ministry. It's my first youth pastor. Um, I don't know if if many of you know the history of my wife's family, but um, her mom died of cancer. And then she had a brother who died of cancer. And then she had another brother that got cancer and had surgery. And then she had another brother. Angelo's the youngest, the second youngest of the family. And he was a wildcat, to say the least, a wildcat. He wanted nothing. I'm telling you folks, he wanted nothing to do with God. And my mom, God bless her, my mother-in-law, God bless her, was a little crazy. She just was. And she was so on fire for God that it didn't matter what she said. She kind of had this Italian in her that just said the first thing without thinking. And, and I just remember one time where she threw her Bible on the ground, stood on it, said, I'm standing on the Word of God. You're going to get saved, Albert. He said, woman, you are crazy. Bonafide crazy. And she got cancer again. And after a while, she passed away went to be with Jesus. And then Albert got sick. And then it was the third issue of cancer in the family. I tell you, I hate cancer. We hate cancer. And all of a sudden, it got to the point where we realized that it was well past the time that he would be able to survive. And he was defiant, 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 until one time the pastor of her church or their church sat down with them and said, listen, have you ever considered the fact that there's a God who loves you in the midst of all this and that there's an eternity where your mom has now resided? And two weeks before he died, he said yes to Jesus. And I can't help but think that the moment that he closed his eyes, he opens them up and sees Jesus and a mom beside him saying, I told you. <laughs> when, when I was here as the pastor before, uh, the youth pastor, there was just some hard stuff that had happened in this church. And it's kind of funny when hard stuff happens at the church, the parents seem to, to rebound, but the kids don't so much. So there was a whole bunch of kids who said, if this is what Christianity is about, I don't want it. So you had a bunch of kids that were kind of on the outside. And one of those, those children was, uh, was uh, the administrator's sons. 
And her and I got together and we said, we need to start praying for these kids. And we developed a, a, a meeting called Parents of Youth Prayer. And we started at the, if you're in the youth room, there's a little off room. I think it's our audiovisual room now. But at that time, it was the prayer room for the kids. And, and so every Tuesday at like 7 o'clock in the morning, minus 30, we're getting up and praying for these kids. And, and there was a breaking point there where all of a sudden, the administrator surely says, you know what? God has shown me that we need to stop praying for the kids. I said, what? No, I, I'm saying that we kind of need to pray for the kids because they're the subject, but we need to focus our attention on praying for the parents. If we can pray for praying parents, then there will be such a power that those kids can't help getting saved. And so that's what we did. Two years went by, we didn't see anything, and then all of a sudden, someone, one of those children was miraculously saved. God gave them a vision. They miraculously got saved, still serving the Lord today. And then all of a sudden, one after one after one, and we saw, we saw that church prayer meeting, that, that parents of youth prayer meeting grow and grow and grow. And some of you are sitting in this, in this congregation. You were at that prayer meeting. I remember you calling out to God for your kids, and I remember calling out to God for your kids. And a number of those kids are serving Jesus today because of that prayer meeting. And there was a move of God like, like I had never seen that happened in that youth group. And, and like 10, 20, I don't know, 10 kids at least went into Bible college and pursued um, full-time ministry for at least a part-time. All I know is that God has called us to pray because it is the biggest battle that we will ever have. Like I could recommend to you a dozen books about children who are away from the Lord and, 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 and talk about things that you can do. I could, I could sit down with you and give you advice. But ultimately, the thing that will bring our children to the Lord is a united voice of people praying for kids who are lost and kids who are hurting and kids to need to know Jesus. Amen? And so what I wanted to do is I wanted to at least provide you with an opportunity to pray over your kids in a tangible way. So Pastor Glenn could come to the front here, and I'm just going to explain it. There's a bunch of prayers. There's like five or six different stations where there's sheets of paper. And if you have a child that you want us to pray for, or if you want to take a step of faith and says, you know what, God, here, here's my son's name, here's my daughter's name, here's the name of my grandkids, I'm just going to write them down. I'm going to leave them at the altar. And as a staff, we're going to take all those sheets of paper. Monday morning, I'm going to pray for God to move. Ultimately, hopefully it will be something that will spark you to say, God, I'm sorry for being discouraged by seeing my kids away. And I've kind of, kind of dropped the ball when it comes to prayer for my kids. But today, I'm going to pray afresh and anew. I believe that there was battle in my life last night because God wanted to do something in your life today, in our lives today. And so God, I pray in Jesus' name for our sons and for our daughters and for our grandchildren and the surrogate kids that perhaps are in our lives, Father, that need to see God move, that Satan is trying to take away, that Satan is trying to steal from us, oh God. Lord, I just pray, Father, for those who are away, those who are prodigals, God, that, Lord, you will just do something for them to come back. I pray, Father, for the lives of the kids who we've been praying for maybe decades and we haven't seen anything. God, I pray, Father, for those kids who don't know you but are doing well. Doing really well, but they don't know you. I pray, God, that you will do something special. I pray, Father, that you will just do something miraculous. 
I pray, Father, as a church that we will say, no way do you get our children. No way do you get our kids. And that, Lord, we will just call out to you today for the sake of our children. I pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen.